Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another week. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. Um, this week is a fucking awesome episode. Uh, this episode is with Ross Knight, the lead singer and bass player of the Cosmic Psychos, um, a fucking legendary Australian rock band. Um, Ross was lovely enough to invite me up to his farm in the bush in Victoria and have a chat to me in his shed about, you know, the band and his life and growing up uh, on a farm and growing up in Melbourne in the 70s and 80s and, um, you know, being in a band that had, you know, quite a lot of influence on a lot of uh, music, both in Australia and abroad. And uh, yeah, just had a really good chat about all things Cosmic Psychos. Um, I previously have done an episode with Matt Weston. Matt looks after the band in a number of ways now, but Matt also made a movie about them a couple of years back called Blokes You Can Trust, and we had a little chat about that as well. And um, yeah, it was just really awesome. It was really cool to talk to someone who's had so many crazy experiences in the music industry and, um, you know, has continued to contribute actively to that as well. The Psychos just released a new record a couple months ago and are still playing shows and touring and stuff. And it's awesome to see someone still so enthusiastic about playing music, but as well understand the reality of what that means for, you know, someone who works on a farm and has kids and a family and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it was just a rad conversation with a really fucking nice dude. I'm so stoked that I got to meet him and stoked that I got to go up to his property and have a chat with him up there. Um, it turned out great. Um, the, we recorded this in his shed, which is set up for his weightlifting and it was awesome. Um, however, it was raining a little bit. So at the start, there's a little bit of noise in the background from, uh, rain hitting the roof of a tin shed. However, if you love Outback Australia, maybe this will sound great to you as background noise. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. Um, in other news, before I get started with this, um, please follow us on um, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and stuff, and check out the website if you get a chance, obliviousmaximuspodcast.com. Um, we're back on iTunes, obviously. We're still on Stitcher, still on SoundCloud. Got shirts, stickers should be here any day. If you want to check those things out, obliviousmaximus.bigcartel.com. Um, I have some awesome, awesome guests coming up. Um, I will talk about them in future episodes once I line up exactly when they're all going to be, but I'm doing a week's worth of recording them in Brisbane, so some Brisbane people are going to be on it, and yeah, it's looking really sick. I'm stoked with how everything's going with this, and it's awesome that everyone's been so nice about it, and it's great that I've had the opportunity to start meeting people that I didn't know beforehand and now I'm getting to talk to people who I admire and I'm interested in and it's really fucking sick um so this is a big shout out thanks so much to Ross for letting me come up and have a chat with him um and taking some time to talk to me about things and yeah thanks to you guys for listening to it I won't harp on too much more this is episode 22 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Ross Knight from the Cosmic Psychos Fucking brutal. 
Ross, thank you for having me in your shed. A pleasure to have you here, mate. Cheers. Cheers. No sound on that one. <laughs> Two stubby holders yeah, clinking. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I start all of these off by asking as far back as people can remember yeah. um, how they first found themselves like intrigued and interested by music. Yep, no worries. So when was I first intrigued by music? Yeah, yeah, when did it sort of like something that took your fancy or, you know, like it sparked off in your brain that that was like, oh, that's something I like, you know? Probably coincided, I've lived here all my life, but in 1969, 1970, the old man put this farm on the market because we'd just gone through a three-year drought. Right. And he got a job down in um, Sunbury uh, managing a couple of properties down there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm within Cooey of Melbourne. Yeah. And I can pick up something more than um, ABC on the radio. Yeah. So my music um, education up till then was my mum saying, don't listen to the Beatles. Yep. They've got long hair and they take drugs. And the Rolling Stones are even worse. Yep. So, so I had, nothing until that point. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe they proved of Cat Stevens and stuff like that. Yeah. At the time, but yeah, and it was it was actually when I got to Melbourne and um, used to be able to pick up what was then three AK and three XY with mm-hmm. a rock station. So yep. I started listening to some stuff. Yeah. So. So it sort of sparked off from there then. Yeah, and then uh, I think actually my parents' first decent record they ever bought was. Um, but the first record I listened to and thought, oh, that sounds all right, was, was the soundtrack, an album from the musical Hair. Yeah. And then uh, I got taken to see Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Which I found most of it boring, but there was some pretty, ah, oh, there was some sort of heavy riffy stuff in there. Yeah, sure. I had to see that live at the Palais Theatre in St Kilda, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, I still remember it. Trevor White played Jesus, I think, and John English was Judas. Yeah, right. And I'm not sure if Marsha Hines wasn't the Sheila that gets in trouble as well. Yeah. I'm bugger if I know. I'm not a religious man. <laughs> um, it was good. I enjoyed it. So how long did you end up staying down there then? Two years. Yeah. So we, we lived through these... And it happened all of a sudden because the first year of the Sunbury Music Festival yeah. was there. And it was just over the hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there I sort of discovered from watching that on telly and watching the back of the stage from the paddock I really like Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs and yeah then I think the next band that I saw was Max Merritt and the Meteors or one or the other and sure it went from there and then Lobby Lawyer I think it might have been Lobby Lawyer I can't remember if they, they played there or not but I think it might have yeah so that's in two years it, my life changed yeah just from getting well I guess I guess going coming from an area like this oh. to down there would have been like a crazy culture shock. Well, it's gone from anyway. from piano accordions to Marshall <laughs> Stacks. Yeah. You know, at the age of about seven or eight. Yeah. But uh, no, it was good because I remember again, when we moved back here, the farm didn't sell, thank bloody God. Mm. But um, uh, when I moved back, the biggest drama I had was I couldn't pick up those radio stations anymore. Yeah, right. So I was sort of buggered. And then my only musical lifeline was a little show that was on at um oh it was on at 520 mm. i think it was 520 every every weeknight it was called gtk yeah and that had 10 minutes of clips of bands playing yeah 
and that was about it. That was that's so you all had a I ten had. Minute fix. <laughs> oh, ten minute fix. If I if I could, you know, get in there and get in time. I'm pretty sure it was just before up past five. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was I was buggered then. Yeah, yeah. So when like what age were you when you came back here then? Uh, end of sixty one. Came back in seventy one. I think seventy two. Seventy two. So. Shit, what was I then? Uh, oh, about nine or ten, I yeah. guess. And so when like when you were growing up around here, what was like you know, obviously you'd heard music at that point and stuff, like what what was what was life for you here at nine and ten? Oh, guns and motorbikes. Yeah. That, that was it, basically. Yeah. It was it was dagging around down the creek. Yeah. Riding my motorbike twenty four seven. Yeah. Um and just shooting rabbits. Yeah. That was about it, really. Yeah. There wasn't much yeah, I'd ride my bike down uh, basically, what, 10K, so in those days six miles away, mm. and spend a day swimming in the river yeah. and ride home. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot really except for that. But And playing, oh, was I playing cricket then? I wasn't even playing cricket. So ride my bike around yeah. with a closed peg and a bit of cardboard in the back spoke to make it sound like a motorbike <laughs> and uh, just basically being naughty. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, did, in that time, you know, sort of growing up through those early teenage years and stuff like that, did music sort of start creeping back in through through oh, that time as well? It, it took a huge turn because um, when I started earning pocket money, I bought my... Well, actually, I was lucky. My, my cousin, Lou, Lou Knight, mm-hmm. um, I used to go and muck about with the, the other cousin about my age, but Lou was more advanced he was another oh, i think lou's probably five years older than me six years older than me so yeah. when i went to stay with my other cousin lou had this amazing record collection there mm-hmm. was um a band called slade yeah that i you know really hadn't heard of yeah, I, sure. I heard them and i went i it just took over and he had another album called made in japan by deep purple and Great, <laughs> fantastic, and then at the same sort of same time, my uncle actually a little bit back going backtracking a little bit. Mm. My uncle, who was who came back from Vietnam, I really didn't know him before then, but when he came back from Vietnam, he he used to play a lot of Led Zeppelin and yeah. stuff like that, and so sure. it was, that was it was also I forgot to mention that was a bit of an introduction into sort rock of rock and rock stuff like that, yeah, stuff like that, and he was like, um, yeah, that, that that kind of stuff he was right into. Mm-hmm. But this my older cousin. That was the real lifeline in there. Yeah. So. And so did he live around here? Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, a like an hour's bike ride away. It was ten mile yeah. uphill, and I used to go and stay up at his place mm-hmm. and to dag about with his younger brother, mm-hmm. and and vice versa. But I loved going up there because he had all the he had all the records. Yeah, yeah. So we used to play records and have rock concerts up there and <laughs> put Christmas tinsel around our necks and. <laughs> Do all that kind of stuff and you know, yeah. Gary Glitter, Slade, all that kind of glam rock yeah. stuff. Exciting stuff when oh, you were of that it was, age. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> so when did like playing music then start to creep in? Obviously, I'm sure that like those inklings always start, I know for me for sure as well, it was listening to Dad, listening to Cold Chisel and then pretending to play guitar. Yeah. You know, like that's... For me, that's kind of like what I see as like the most basic ball rolling for that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think if you, unless you're pushed into musical lessons before you really want to, the the best apprenticeship you can do is learn. I think I learned all of Slade Alive on a very short pool cue. <laughs> 
And then I reckon I learnt most of the early ACDC stuff on a John Newcomb Jr. tennis racket. <laughs> Perfect. And used to play completely backwards. Like the lead breaks were down there and the, <laughs> completely arse about. Yeah. But yeah, you mimed. And I had I had every record down to the stage, your own stage. You have your yeah, yeah. concert every night in your room. Yeah. You probably did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then didn't think about playing until the, the, the punk rock thing came along. Because yeah. I went for a glam rock Big Kiss fan, yeah. huge, but it was that it was that punk explosion with the Pistols, the Clash, mm-hmm. and it happened at a great time for me because my parents hated it. Yeah, I mean Perfect. they thought Kiss and Skyhooks were terrible. Yeah, but when when the Sex Pistols came along, <laughs> and the Dead Boys, and yeah, the Ramones, and like all that, they really hated it. Yeah, and so that was my excuse to just go, well, this is for me. This is yeah, perfect. this is what I want to do. Mum and Dad hate it. <laughs> So at that point, were you still living up here? Oh yeah, very much so. I, I um, got the. I was very lucky. I had uh, a, a mate of mine in Kint, and I went to school with his older sister. Was going to art school in Sydney, mm-hmm. which was a great connection because when all this music explosion happened, they were going out to gigs and yeah, sure, living the living the dream with the dark sunglasses and <laughs> all looking like the Ramones or they were from someone or other. But yeah. they were totally cool. Yeah, and uh, she'd bring home. Like when she'd come back during semesters and that kind of stuff, she'd bring all these records. Mm. So we're just discovering this stuff, just going, this is unreal. Yeah. It's just basic and simple. Yeah. And then it was read, then starting to read, buying um, old NMEs and mm-hmm. uh, melody makers from England and reading all about these punk bands yeah. and, and reading all this stuff, realising that they actually don't know how to play. Yeah. <laughs> like anyone can do it. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was my... Well, I think that's kind of like what got most people into that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Was like, oh, this is fucking pretty easy. <laughs> like, Let's just know. make our own racket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I had a mate of mine who played guitar. He was a big Susie Quadro fan. And then he, he he went over to the Pistols and that for a while too. So there was there was like three punk rockers in Kyneton. Mm-hmm. And he taught me, we formed a band called Rancid Spam, and I had never picked up a real guitar before. Yeah. But he showed me how to play just by, and I was the bass player using a six string guitar, but just playing on the E string. Yeah, sure. And just go, put your finger here, put your finger there, put your finger there. Yeah. So I'm going, righto, no worries. And that's how we started. Before we knew it, we had probably 10 songs with me just playing on the E string. Yeah, right. And it hasn't changed since. I'm, like, I'm still using the same <laughs> just the e string. string and the wrong fucking finger <laughs> for every song that I do so yep. but that's where it started yeah I had no idea what notes they were yeah he'd just point and go that dot that's there what you need that to blank be there that dot there and that blank yeah and they're basic songs but and that's how I still operate today so yeah. it was it was from that that was the start yeah yeah so so that, and like so when with the three punk rockers from kind was that like where did that idea take you was it just we're just gonna fucking make noise and every weekend there was there was me, Robbie and Steve. Mm-hmm. And Steve was at Steve's house. His mum was a lot older and she used to be away a lot. Yeah. She'd be up in Queensland, so we had the house to ourselves. Yeah. So we borrowed amps, like a, a fridge and amps and no drums, so it was just vocals yeah. and, and two amps. And uh, we used to just jam. Mm-hmm. We'd get pissed and jam. Yep. Like I could buy a bottle of Bond seven Half a bottle of Bond 7, which is sort of that rounded flask shape. Yeah. Now, that would fit perfectly into the back pants pocket of my 
school pants yeah. and it wouldn't fall out if I rode my push bike there. So, and it was just like, yeah, just getting pissed yeah. and just playing. And we would stay up all night. If we weren't eating ice cream, we were drinking whiskey. Yeah. Because we couldn't afford beer. Yeah. But you course. could buy a really cheap scotch or yeah. cheap wine. So we either ate ice cream and drank piss and used to jam. Yeah. Just used to make a, a racket. And so how old would you have been at that point? Uh, I would have been 15 then. Yeah. So that was, yeah, it would have been 15. So Form 3? Yeah, 15. Yeah, right. So so how, how long did that sort of go on for you then? Like was that a... a was that most of your later teenage years doing oh, that? Oh, yeah, that was the same. We'd actually gotten bought a bass guitar in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, left school, tried to run away from home, and then left school and then worked out in Melbourne and stayed with my uncle, mm-hmm. me, me Led Zeppelin uncle. Sure, yeah. Um, John for for a while, and he was good. And I bought a bass and used to go back to Kyneton every weekend. Yeah. And we'd do exactly the same thing. Yeah. But I was working then. I was earning like up to... I think I was earning 110 bucks a week, which meant I could buy beer. Yeah. So and and more whiskey and yeah. more stuff. And it so didn't need to fit in your back pocket. <laughs> that's that's it. So we just kept going back. I was still underage, didn't yeah. have a, a license, but yeah, we just continued on with that kind of carry on. Mm-hmm. It was it was great. We did. Then I went back to school. We did one high school social. It was terrible, and then yep. one gig in a park in Kyneton, which was even worse. Mm-hmm. So we just went back to the barn. Yeah. And just played and drank. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, mm. it's funny, there's something a pattern emerging there, isn't there? <laughs> um, so, uh, like, after that sort of flirtatious living in Melbourne and doing that, did you come back here again after that? Yeah, I actually lived, I, I finished, well, I went and did year 11 again. Yeah. And uh, then I got a job back in Melbourne. So I actually lived down in Melbourne for about 10 years. Yeah, right. So, um but I was back here most weekends yeah, sure. and, and up with my mates and that. But I was living and working down there and I worked a lot of jobs down there mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yeah. And, yeah, that band morphed into... We, we hooked up with Dirty Jones, who was the original guitar player. So that just morphed into another kind of thing, but a more experimental thing. Yeah. Like we were playing just flat-out three-chord stuff with the high school stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we're doing all this fucking arty farty stuff yeah. but that was only because we were you know trying to be musicians i think yeah yeah and if you're trying try- to get just beyond pointing at uh, frets or whatever <laughs> we had no idea yeah you know like dirty couldn't play no, no one could play but it was i guess we were trying to come up with something yeah without really knowing what we were doing well i guess as well probably the time was changing too with I'm sure what you were listening to by that point. Oh, as it was well. all. Oh, it was all. It was it, like at, at that point in time, it went from punk rock to new wave to, and if you weren't um, a new romantic, yeah, you're inventing. You, it was back to. It was basically free form jazz with distortion. <laughs> yeah. So you could get out there and groan and grunt and. I mean, there was bands that did it well, and that's mm. when look at the boys next door. When they were the boys next door, they were a flat out rock band. Yeah. But the early birthday party was just this. You know, arty farty, jazzy, fucking free for all. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the, the difference is those guys pulled it off. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of bands trying to do the same thing, and they're fucking shite. And we were one of them. <laughs> Just couldn't get it. Oh fuck, we we're horrible. Yeah. I mean, those blokes, you know, they, they, you know, well, you know, history speaks for itself. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they had talent. We yeah. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, in that time being down in Melbourne, then was that like? 
I guess, and doing things like that, did you start to start forming more of like a sort of adult interest in music then as such? Was it sort of starting to move away from just three chord punk for rebellion sake? And... I used to go and see a lot of bands. Yeah. And that was, that changed. I'd go and see bands. Every weekend was about going to see music and mm-hmm. seeing bands. And yeah, I was, I was in Spring Plain, so I had my own band. Yeah. And we did a residency every Thursday night at the Tote, which, you know, the average crowd was probably about seven to nine people. <laughs> so, but I used to go and see bands. And I remember when I lived down in St Kilda for a little while, um, seeing bands, seeing the members of I Spit on Your Grave, and a lot of musos stayed in, yeah, yeah. in that pub down there, uh, or drank in that pub, and just going down there and just kind of wanting to be around those people. Yeah. But not wanting to approach them, but just kind of going, cool, imagine being in a band like that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, they just get to run amok and drink piss and yeah, yeah. act all mad. And they wouldn't have turned up in best mates. So. <laughs> but yeah, the interest was there, just seeing bands play. Yeah. I, I, not that I had any dreams of maybe doing anything, mm. but I remember one time there was a, there was a rockabilly band called the Cracker Jacks. Mm-hmm. Now, all I know about the Cracker Jacks is that like Warren ended up playing guitar with the Corpse Grinders. I think he might have, might be wrong here. Warren Ruff? Oh, fuck the vine, I lose track now. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I went to see this, this rockabilly band, and they were really good, just playing a little pub in Collingwood. Yeah. I'd asked if I could be their roadie yeah. or to help their roadie out. So I went to a few gigs just rolling up leads. Yeah. And you know, 20, 30 people there. Mm-hmm. I just can't remember who else was in the, in the band, but... I just wanted to be a part of something. Yeah, so I thought, sure. Oh, maybe I'll just become a roadie. Yeah, yeah, that's easy. I can do this. Like, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was my but my first professional. Well, I think they gave me a beer. Yeah. At the end of the night, I so that's the, payment. Yeah, the publican gave me a jug and they, they poured me a pot. Yeah. And then I drove back to Kite and going, oh, I just did a gig. <laughs> I rolled up four leads for the Cracker Jacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Oh, they, they were a great band. I loved it. Loved yeah. Them. yeah. They were great, you know. But, like, you know, the music was... Anything that was good, I liked. It didn't matter if it was the... A lot of the punk stuff I didn't like. Mm-hmm. A lot of the arty-farty stuff I didn't like. But if, if it had a bit of get-up-and-go where people were smiling and laughing... Yeah. It was like you... Like your mental as anything's doing pub gigs in Melbourne. Yeah. But great band to watch. Yeah, there was awesome. another band from Sydney called Loaded Dice. Yeah. Very much the same feel, like playing catchy, funny rock and roll songs, but putting on a performance. You yeah. Know? Well, that's kind of always been like the thing with the band that I'm in is that like we came up in a time where hardcore and metal and stuff like that was the most serious thing in the world. And I'd just gotten over my, you know, like listening to that stuff just to piss my mum off phase. Mm. And then, but now like the band that we're in now is sort of like the whole idea for me anyway was when we were doing that was like, if we can, like, if people laugh when we play, great. Hmm. I would much rather people stand around not moving, but pissed, laughing, having the best time, than a bunch of people standing there, stroking their chins and Analyzing. thinking about what I'm playing. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I would much rather it be entertaining, because that's why I want to go see yeah. bands, you know? Like, I'll oh, just go for fun. It's great. And I don't care if they're laughing because they think we're shit. Yeah. Or they're laughing because they're having a good time. But as long as they're having a laugh. But, yeah, that getting yeah. analysed. Like, well, I mean, people gave that almost a long time ago. But, yeah. yeah, you're right. And that's the attitude to have, I think. Yeah. And that if you can have... And the whole thing is, if you're having a great time, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are, I reckon if you're having a good time on stage, 
it spills out yeah, into the room. For sure. And it just makes people relaxed. Yeah. They're going, shit, these guys aren't there trying to reinvent the wheel. No. They're having a really good time. Yeah. And then they sort of go, oh, well, we'll have another beer. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. We'll enjoy it. Yeah. That's what I think, anyway. Yeah. So, um, in that, once you got down into Melbourne and you were doing that sort of thing, did you stay there for a while then? Or... Were you again sort of drifting back here? I was still drifting back most of the time. I had work to do up here and stuff. Yeah. And I was still playing cricket up here. Yeah, sure. And stuff, sporting stuff and yeah. playing footy locally and that kind of stuff. But no, I was down there for a good 10 years and right through to, to the formation of the Psychos, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it, it morphed from Spring Plains to the Cosmic Psychos. And yeah. we used to do a lot of gigs mm-hmm. because there was a lot of gigs to play. Like everyone did gigs. Yeah. You'd be playing at pubs, squats. Yeah, halls. There was still that kind of thing, like punk night at some hall in Clifton Hill or yeah. Fitzroy or Northcote or something like that. Just get, rush together gigs, you mm-hmm. know. And that kind of spirit was still there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was still to and froing, to yeah. and froing. So never losing my roots here. But, yeah. Um, trying to get a root in Melbourne. <laughs> which, no, I shouldn't say that really. <laughs> I, always had a, I always had a lovely partner at yeah. that time. So, um, so once psychos got started, then what was like, what was sort of the what got the ball rolling? I guess for you guys then in Melbourne. I don't know what got the ball rolling. The ball rolling was that I guess we played a couple of shows that seemed to go down okay. That Mario from Mr. Spaceman put the first album out, liked it. Bill Walsh was a mover and a groover and a smoocher, a smoocher, whatever you call it. Yeah. Every fucking thing. Yeah. But like Bill was down there and Peter Jones too. They were they were living in St Kilda and they were around yeah. that scene and, and well connected with radio and people and sure. cool people and and that people kind who could of stuff. get you things that you needed to get as a band. Yeah, and yeah. basically, I spent most of my time there living out at Footscray. Yeah, working at the Footscray Hospital, not knowing what the fuck was going on, <laughs> and just driving to St Kilda and getting plastered every now and yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So I was never out every night. I wasn't at the yeah thing, and you know, and I wasn't listening to that much community radio back then, except for probably could have been Champions on Three Triple R. Yeah, that yeah. was about it for me. Mm-hmm. But um. It would have been. It was. Look. It was. It was Bill and Peter's drive. Yeah. To to to, to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm. My role was, and I'm, I'm not bragging. I think, but my role was to write the songs. Yeah. And they would make it happen. Basically. Yeah. I mean, Pete used to write songs, and Bill used to sing songs to, to to riffs that we'd do for him. So I'm not saying that Pete didn't write his own stuff, but yeah, it was sort of like, well, come on, Nighty, write a few more songs. Yeah, yeah. And and basically. I was blindsided by the whole lot mm-hmm. and just got taken along for the ride. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden there was this tour of Europe coming up and which I pulled out on and yeah. um, they kept going and they got Al from Venom P, which was good. Yeah. And, yeah, and just even, yeah, just... just, just I didn't really... I wasn't in there, you know? Yeah. I wasn't in the scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess as well, like, that probably has something to do with the, the fact that you had a lot of other things happening, like yeah. you had work and then coming to and from here as well. And oh, look, no doubt in certain certain scenes down there, I was an embarrassment to Bill and Pete because mm. I was very uncool. Yeah, you know, mullet, exacto windshield, a black t-shirt. All my mates were just pissheads. Yeah. We'll all go and see Naughty playing playing this stupid fucking band. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And they were also like... And that didn't fit in well with the St Gilda <laughs> that didn't fit in with music scene. Extreme jazz crowd. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, that's what the way I see it. And look, that's nothing. When they had their thing, that's fine. I had yeah. my thing. Yeah. So, you know, their mates were completely different to my mates. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was pretty... It was an oddball mix, but, geez, we made a good racket together. You yeah, know, yeah. Really, we had a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Despite what Pete and Bill say, we had a lot of fun. And despite <laughs> what I say about those two cunts, too, yeah. we had a lot of fun. So when was it... When did it sort of happen for you that it sort of... You could, you know, see things moving beyond just, oh, I just, I'm doing this thing with these these dudes like when did it for you start turning into like oh now we're actually like people people like this stuff people want to be seeing this people want us to go places that aren't just St Kilda yeah it was weird I I think like the album launch for Down on the Farm I couldn't believe we played on a Wednesday night and then the place yeah we might have got 500 people there yeah right and that was 85 yeah and I thought shit and then when the when Bill and Pete came back from Europe. They were both saying, mate, you've got to get over there. People know the songs, you know, you mm. should get there. People actually have heard of us. And I went, oh, shit. And then when I went in 89, um, it was amazing. Yeah. You drive into a city and there's Cosmic Psychos posters on walls. Yeah. Like, touring this year. And I'm thinking, fuck, that's a bit odd. Yeah. But then that sort of washed off pretty quick, just realising that everyone over there were pretty good people and just wanted to get pissed like we did. But yeah. But yeah, that was that was. I suppose the first trip overseas, having the having the. Uh, Had you ever been overseas nah, before at all? Fuck, I've been to Tasmania yeah. twice. You know. <laughs> so you? I, I see you've been over a. Yeah, oh, Phillip Island. <laughs> a body of water. Yeah. No, I'd take me motorbike to Tassie twice, and that was about it. Really. Yeah. But no, I hadn't been there, so I had no idea of the flight, what it was like on the other side of the world. Yeah. But you know, as beautiful and as great as what it is over there, just. And just sitting in, a, I'm sitting in a bar, my first time over there that was built in 1400 and something. And I'm yeah. drinking a beer in there going, well, fuck me, Alex. You know, Australia's only been around for a couple hundred years. And I'm, yeah. I'm drinking a beer in a bar that's been there for fucking 400, 500 yeah. years. double as long as the yeah. country I'm from. I'm thinking, jeez. And that was sort of, you know, but I don't know. That, that was the first point of sort of going, oh. Shit, we are, yeah, without sort of going, oh, we've made it or yeah. anything like that, which we never have and I don't care. Yeah. But I just went, oh, shit, you know, if we behave, we'll do this again. Yeah, yeah. Which we didn't behave, but we still didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So once you came back then from that trip, what what had changed in the way that you approached the band then, I guess, if anything? Well, I came back after my first trip, I was, it was three months on the road and we did... I don't know how many million shows. Yeah. Like. So the first week back, once I'd had a potato cake and a pie <laughs> and realised that Australia looked different again in my eyes. Yeah. And uh, when I got off that plane, I thought, I'll be fucking quite happy if I never do that again. Yeah. And I reckon within four days, I just couldn't wait to get back. Mm. I just missed it so much. Yeah. It was just, yeah, just that... All I could think Falling about, back into your old Just get back into the routine and, of yeah. just go, oh, fuck, I'll have a beer for brekkie. And yeah. I'll, you know, we've got to play again, which is fine, because, you know, I never found playing a, a, a bore. Yeah. Playing, playing's fine. Yeah. The only problem is with playing, it, it interrupts you if you're having a chat to some really good people. Yeah, yeah. But you can talk to them after it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it was just, 
Yeah, I just got that itch to do it again. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to travel. It was to go away with the band again. Cause yeah, yeah. As hard as it was for Pete and as hard as it was for... I was giving them all the shits. But I just wanted to get back there again. That's all part of it. Yeah. You know, pushing the boundaries and and just having fun. So, yeah, it was from there on. That, and then it just steamrolled. We were... We were basically going overseas twice a year, sometimes three times a year. Yeah. And it was just, we just couldn't get enough touring. Mm-hmm. Just just play, 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 just for the fact of being there. And were those things easy to tee up for you guys at that point, or was that like becoming a pain in the ass? Oh, it was, it was, it was a pain in the ass for me because I'd gone into business with the old man and I kept disappearing. But, yeah. Um, you know, I was lucky. I had a, had a great bloke working with us. So, you know, Lee and... Um, I could sneak away yeah. at certain times because the old man was, you know, he was you know, probably my age now, so he was, yeah. oh, bloody go on, you know, the bloody novelty will wear off, off you <laughs> yeah. go. And then, oh, you can't keep doing this, and then, oh, go on, bugger off, off mm. you go. I can't say he was supportive. <laughs> he used to complain a lot, but he's come around now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many years later. He had no choice. Yeah. But, yeah, it was just that itchy feet. Look, Two months into a tour in Europe, where you, have, you know, you, you might have had, oh, fuck, I don't know, in eight weeks, you might have had eight days off but yeah. spasmodically. You'd be sitting in a band room at the start of the evening going, I just want to be home mm-hmm. watching the footy. Yeah. Because you know, I didn't have any kids. didn't matter. I just wanted to be home. Yeah. But then I get home and I'm sitting there watching the footy going, I just want to be back in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So I realised then that it's got to be, got to find the balance. So... Mm. Which took a while to find, I think. Yeah. And so at, at that point, when you guys started doing that, had things started taking off for you overseas as well? Like, was that uh, the point where you sort of saw, like, not just going there to play shows and stuff, but was going there now like, oh, this is, you know, people who really fucking like us now and, you know, we're doing well in these places that are pretty, you know... A, great great distance from home you know yeah i mean that's that's always been fascinating but it's all relative i mean to to do great i don't think we're doing any greater than what we do in australia because as i said look australia 20 million people appeal to 0.008 of a percent yeah yeah you know germany 70 million people Mm -hmm. same appeal to them well yes there's going to be more people come to your shows yeah yeah right but you know we probably almost flogged ourselves to death over there because we, we would be playing um, you know big towns on the weekends but we'd play every night of the week yeah so we, we'd play Kyneton on a Tuesday and then yeah. um, then play uh, let's say Dalesford yeah on the next night and then and then you'd hit the big city and yeah we'd just villages I mean it, it all worked there was People happen to have us there, yeah. And there was always, you know, there was always at least a couple hundred people in those little shows. Yeah, right. But um, <laughs> did I realise it was getting big? No, nah, not really. Just mm. used to love doing it. Yeah. Because my drive for it wasn't to be a big band. My drive was to let's just keep it going. Yeah, yeah. So this that, is fun. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you know, I still had my other life. I had a job to do. I was, you know, I worked. You know, I've got my farm, that kind of stuff. So uh, there's no way you'd want to do it full time. And that's why I used to make the most of it when I did it. Yeah. Like just live it, absolutely live it. Like, all right, here I am. I'm, I'm a rolling stone for, for, for two months. So yeah. <laughs> let's just wake up in the morning and crack a beer and away we go. Yeah. 
because I knew it wasn't I wasn't going to do it forever, mm-hmm. and I knew it wasn't going to be the downfall of me. Yeah. Well, in some ways, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, so it was just great to live live it while you're there, but know that that's in the back of your mind. Yeah. It's like being back here, being a rat ass farmer, because I've got yeah. the band in the back of my mind. Yeah. So it's, it's as I said, it's fighting the balance. Yeah. I think it's one of those things, though, and I, I've spoken about it with a, a lot of people on this, is that like. Definitely in Australia and because of the isolation and because of all that, there's, you know, there's not as, there's definitely not as much opportunity for the expansion of like a band from the US or a band from Europe because you can't go and play in another country, just, you know, just drive down the road and you're in a foreign land, you know, to go to another country to play a show, you got to travel at least 10 hours or something. And that's to you know, someplace where no one will know you at all anyway. Mm. So I think the thing with most people here is, and I mean, I guess it's, I have a similar mindset to you in the sense that I never have thought like, oh yeah, so I'm just, you know, I think maybe for like a week when I was in year 12, I thought I'm going to play drums forever or I'm going to play guitar forever. But then as soon as I started working, I was like, oh, you have to do this. (laughs) Like this is, you know... (laughs) Shit happens. Yeah. You just you have to do this, you know. Unfortunately, you do because yeah, you, know, you can be lucky and unlucky because you might play guitar or drums and thinking of the rest of your life, and it, it just might come to a shuddering halt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can still do it in your shed. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's which, I and I still do. So yeah, but yeah, you can be lucky. Mm. You know? Yeah, but you look at the bands that have got fucking huge. Yeah. Now, count on two hands bands that made it big in, say, the 90s that are still going now. Yeah, yeah. Fuck all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're either dead or they big fucking blues. <laughs> yeah, they hate each other. hate each other or they... Money, it, it, you know. Yeah. So why would you want to... Mm. So, like, when when did, like, in your mind, when did things, like... You know, obviously there's quite a lot of history with the psychos in the sense that, you know, it kicked off people in America started loving you. And it kicked off with all these relatively famous people in that the grunge era started happening. When, mm. like, when did you see, like, when did that reflect on the band? Like, when was the point where you guys were like, oh, now we need to go over there and be doing things over there as well? It's a hard one, that one, because people, like, you read it all the time, oh, the psychos influence blah, blah, and blah, blah. Yeah. We were sitting around drinking beer with them, and we used to make them laugh. Yeah. And then when that whole scene went completely bananas, mm. um, it was sort of like, like we went over there, but it wasn't because it was a different, again, different because the bands that made a big sign with big labels, so you never saw them. Yeah. They yeah. were off. Yeah. Like the only times you'd see um, Novus Alex or, or, or Grohl or something like that would be when they were in town. They just happened to be off tour or... Yeah. Um, something like that so it's it's funny that explosion happened so quick yeah that anyone that wasn't on there got left behind Mm -hmm. and and we were never we were never going to get caught up in it anyway yeah but um, it just happened look it happened overnight it was it just you had your Nirvanas and your Tads and your Mud Honeys and Mm -hmm. all these bands and your Green Rip like, like all the the whole lot, mother love, but the whole lot there, yeah. and then it just sort of went ka- kaboom. It was, it was almost in a blink of an eye. Yeah, like the world changed musically. Yeah, and, and no one saw it coming either. No, it just went fucking whack. And then when Nirvana, that, like the, the Nirvana tour of Australia, was your classic 
booking the Beatles before they broke. Yeah. You know, which that bloke who booked the Beatles three years or two years before they broke, well, no one knew when Nirvana was booked in for the Palais, the Venetian Room in Sydney, yeah. and, you know, the big day out that, as, you know, just a side act, yeah. that they were going to be have the number one record in the world yeah. by the time they got here. Yeah. So and that was it just happened like that. Mm. And then they were just sort of whisked away, like, shoop, that was gone. Yeah. Gone. So, no, you didn't go with them. And, and for it to happen, it was sort of like having a beer with you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're gone. You're on top of the charts. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll catch up with you every now and again. And yeah. I'll um, uh, see you when you come down. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was strange. Mm. It was strange to see your mates. That happened to, to them. Yeah. And shoot off into something that was totally foreign as well. Oh, fuck. Unreal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, with the L7 girls too, because they went, they, they were playing bloody every, but then, you know, major record companies, now whether you're big or not, or make it huge, but like those poor buggers in L7, they were out playing 11 months of the year. Yeah. Because they were sort of got popular, signed with the major, but weren't quite selling squillions of records. Right. Where other bands were, like yeah. millions and so millions. They still had to bust their ass to. Oh, fuck. Poor yeah. buggers. They were. Fuck, they got hit hard. Mm. I mean, they did well. Yeah. Played in front of a lot of people, and I'm glad they're playing again. Yeah. They're a fucking great band. But, mm. um, yeah, it was it was just weird to look at from afar. Yeah. Or, or actually from the inner circle. Yeah, yeah. To see it happen. As I said, it's like talking to a room full of people and they're just getting. Sucked out in a vortex. And you go, yeah. Fuck, well, who's left? Yeah, it's so how strange. Come, how come I'm still here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and did that, did having the sort of, I guess, Australian base and connection and stuff like that, did that keep that stuff grounded for you then? Oh, fuck yeah. Well, the fact is that, well, it did because you've got that base. Yeah, and you get to hobnob with all these fucking people and, and, as I said, I still look at them as mates anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, just having that base and you don't get carried away. Look, I don't know. Look, if we'd been good looking and written some songs that didn't have the word fuck or cunt in it, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, and, and it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. We were already beyond our prime. You know, we, we were old then. Yeah. We've been rattling away since, the, you know, 85 we were described as these old blokes then yeah and i was only in my mid-20s yeah so by the time 1990 comes 89 90 you know i'm approaching 30 years old mm. that's not cool yeah so and a lot of those people would have just been like just out of being kids basically oh they're flying you know they're yeah. absolutely flying and they're just caught up in it and talented and mm. you know gifted you know, talented people yeah yeah so that's we weren't. We were the we were the dickheads in the corner of the room, you know, with our pants around our ankles, like yeah. going, oh, "Look at me, look at me," you know. It was, but yeah, we made them laugh. That so was all good. Yeah, and our attitude to music was just completely different to anyone else's. We're going sound check, fuck sound check. Yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, how about you get concent- more concentration on getting the beer cold? It's, <laughs> it's just that you know, just that lazy, don't care attitude. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I definitely, you know, I, from all experiences I've had is sort of the same thing though, because I think it sort of goes back to that root of the fact that like being from here and doing things down here, 
you never think that that's, I don't even think that that's a possibility. Like I don't, you know, I think, you know, I can play well and that's all well and good. But then at the same time, like, oh, there's, I'm here with my fucking five best friends. So why not just get as blind as I can? Hmm. Because I'm in somewhere else with, I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Hmm. You know, like I don't have to wake up early. Yep. And if I do, someone's going to drive me somewhere. Yeah. You know, like... No, it's, it, it, it's the right attitude to have. Yeah. You know, and that's a good thing. When, you play, when you're in a band with your mates, it doesn't matter how fucked up you get, someone's going to carry the load. Mm. And if no one carries the load, then you've had a bad gig. <laughs> so one in every couple will have one of them. Oh, yeah, don't worry. We've had, <laughs> we have a few. We... <coughs> We, we could rely on each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then when we all fall down together, we have a good laugh about yeah. it. Yeah. So how when how long did that ride sort of take you out then? Like what? Like where did you see that sort of turn from being over there and being amongst all that to it's sort of starting to you know bottleneck out of that? Ah, oh, fuck it, petered out pretty quick, really. I mean, it was great being out. Look, it was great being around at that stage because mm-hmm. we got we got on the back of some great tours of Mud Honey and and just bands around all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, it was exciting, and and kids were out there to go. We're talking about overseas. Yeah, the scene never really changed too much in Melbourne, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Although, oh, and I suppose it did a little bit. It was good because you do the. The old palais, the palace, the palace in St Kilda. So you could have the hard-ons, the psychos and the meanies doing some show. You get 1,500, 2,000 people there. Yeah. I mean, you do that nowadays, you you go, well, we've done well, we've got 500. Yeah. Even if we were young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't do that now. but, But... Yeah, the excitement was there. People wanted to go out and see music. Mm -hmm. Look, it only started to conk out and copped it early early in Europe, realised what was going on. It was when the the dance scene started. Yeah. So, you know, drop an ecky and and go dancing. Yeah. And uh, it just changed. So the punk rock thing went from this grungy band to, no, you know, you can just take over a warehouse and play music and dance for... Fucking twelve hours. Yeah, the entire so, like, sort of punk rock. All of, a, all of a sudden, it was punk rock dance parties. Yeah, and I went to one in Amsterdam. My first time, I'd been to one of those things. We played a gig in Amsterdam and went to this dance party. It was mm-hmm. just in this deserted area of town, which they decked out with a bar, a sound system, and a few lights. Yeah, and there must have been five thousand people there, <laughs> and people were just going off. Yeah, so I mean, that was when it. It was like, oh, that's that grungy thing. Mm. Oh, now we're doing this. Yeah. So they're just evolving. It I mean, moved in waves or whatever. Yeah, look, for your popular ways, but I mean, the, the, that style of music is still there now, which is really good. Yeah. And it always will be. Like, it just has a shit. It stays on the footpath. Mm. Then it walks along and has another shit. Yeah. That's what music does. It just <laughs> keeps shitting. Yeah. So, you know, that stain will be there forever. It might dry up and blow away, but the stain will be there, mm-hmm. which means it'll always stay alive somewhere. Yeah. There'll be some little molecule in that shit stain that still lives and breathes. And ants are still crawling towards yeah, and that and they're, shit. And they're spreading it, and that might pop up again somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so when, after that all sort of happened, what, what happened for you with music then like when you came back here after all that sort of petered out as you said like 
what became of your life then? Was your life then sort of more devoted to working and family and things like that? Uh, well, I suppose it changed when I actually started a family. I had, a, had my first kid in the early mid-90s. Mm-hmm. I better not make any mistakes about that one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it made it a little bit more difficult, but we're still touring. Yeah. Um, but, uh, look, still going away. Instead of three months, we're going away for one month. Yeah. Because the music scene was still going, like if, if it wasn't going in Germany or Holland as much, it was going in Spain sure, and that kind of stuff. And music was still, it might have been dropping off here a bit, but we were still working away mm-hmm. and still doing tours of the States. I, as I said, Bill was in the band and, and he was a driving force and we go, oh, but what, we're going to go do another tour of the States? And I'm like, oh, fuck, all right. Yeah. And we'd be playing coffee shops yeah. on Tuesday nights in front of six people. I just... Yeah. Crazy stuff. Yeah. But it was that thing about, oh, what, we're going to go we on tour. we got to go, yeah. Go on tour and do another record. And, well, we never stopped. And, and it, it didn't affect us too much, really. I, mm. Look, instead of hanging out with famous people, we were hanging out with people like us. Yeah. So really, as far as I was concerned, the people like us drank more piss than the famous people anyway. So <laughs> I mean, better people hang around. There's a few <laughs> exceptions there. The Mudhoney boys drank the best of them and... When Nova Selex was on the piss, he was on the piss, so that was pretty good. So. <laughs> but, you know, they all have a drink. Don't yeah. worry about that. But, no, it was just, it just, look, we still just kept doing what we wanted to do. Yeah. And I guess that was lucky with the psychos. We've just gone, well, you know, we're not going to get picked up by any great fad, mm. so we'll just keep plugging away. Yeah. And keep saying cunt and songs. And yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, don't worry. We had, look, we had great management, which helped us in the early 90s. Really good management. And... It was suggested to us then, that, or suggested to me, that maybe I should write songs with other musicians from other bands, like go on a yeah. little, maybe not swear as much in it, yeah. and, and, and try and make it a bit more commercial. But I had to look at, you know, I looked at myself in the mirror, I looked at Bill, and Robbie was in the band then, and, you know, we had more chance of making fucking, I don't know, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of something... Yeah, yeah, we had more chance of making shit sandwiches popular than, yeah. than us. Yeah. So uh, it just, it just wasn't, wasn't on. It just wasn't on. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just went, no. Nah. Because, look, there was talk of us going to America and signing a... It'd be a small deal to what other bands were doing there. Yeah. And it was only talk of it. And I don't know how much of it was true or not, but um, I just went, nah, fuck, what, do it full time? Got to be kidding. Yeah. Got to be kidding. So. Yeah. So, yeah, getting back to what I keep going off on a tangent, okay. but, um, yeah, it got a little bit harder with having a kid, like my first boy, Jika. It was, you know, he couldn't be as way as, as long and, you know, more commitments and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. But, you know, that's just get growing old, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, not growing old. Maturing? Well, I yeah. can't use that either. <laughs> I'm buggered for words now. Um. So, like, when that... Like, did the... Obviously, the family stuff was happening, but did your responsibilities here with things with work and the farm and stuff change then as well, or was that not for a while after that? Oh, no, it was all changing. Like yeah. my, my parents were getting older, and I was in partnership with my parents. Now, they've been fantastic, but mm-hmm. yeah, I had to shoulder more of, the, more of the work. And as I said, I, I relied on... Uh, I had a bloke working for me who was, who was unreal. Yeah. So... Yeah, they'd, they'd take up the slack, but you know, as, as my parents got older, you know, they didn't want to be covering my ass while I'm yeah, for going sure. out on the piss for 24 hours. <laughs> but, but and yes, and I, you know, I had my 
boy's mother back here with with my son and that kind of stuff. So it was yeah, it was getting harder, mm-hmm. and it was getting harder to leave too. I mean, yeah. when you've got that commitment, you you don't want to be away for too long. You've got a sense of responsibility, mm-hmm. and as, as shallow as it sounds, but it, it played in my mind a lot. Yeah, a lot. So yeah, having having to be in one place, but your mind is in another place. Yeah, and it got it got to the stage where I remember Bill used to go. He wouldn't tell me about a US tour until two weeks before we went. Yeah, he'd just go, "Oh, by the way, we're going to America." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, then I have to so oh, then I had to tee up for me you know, boy's mum to go up to Queensland to be with family and, and, and arrange all this kind of assistance and mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So and help. So, but he knew he'd do that because if, if, if it had been planned, pre-planned, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah, it'd be too much. Tickets are booked. Yeah. <laughs> Tour's booked. we got to go. I'm like, fuck, it's in 10 days. Yeah. Uh, so, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it gets, it was, that was probably the hardest time. Yeah. Around then, trying to juggle kids and work and stuff. That was, you know, that was a ten-year period in the band's existence where it was, it was hard. I still did it. Yeah. Not all the time, but we got through. But that was the hardest to juggle. So where did where did that see like where did that come out of that then? Was there a turning point that brought you out of that? Yeah, and the turning point was was um, Bill leaving the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill getting the arse. I mean, he got the point where um, you know this is not a hang shit on Bill hour, but. He had a bar going in Melbourne, and and that was great, mm-hmm. all good, but he just got. He didn't. He was just too. Doing his own shit. Yeah. And it got to the point. It was the only time ever where I really sort of went. I used to get down there and go. I'm really pissed off because we were supposed to practice. We've got to do another record. Yeah, yeah. Record CD, whatever. But anyway, and just go. Um, oh, I haven't got time. I haven't got time. Mm. And then Robbie was, you know, he had a few problems and he was going, oh, you know, he can't make it and that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then probably when I formed uh, with Dean and, and Kieran a, a side project called Dung mm-hmm. that I realised, you know what, it's really good fun to go out and play for half a dozen Stubby Rider again. Yeah. And drive to Warnable for a hundred bucks. Yeah. And just do it all again. It, it was just go back, right, just go take it right back. And basically playing, we're all playing original stuff, but... It just sounded the same. I can only write one style of music. <laughs> but, you know, our stubby rider actually got up to 12 stubbies. Yeah. Instead of three cases and scotch and vodka and yeah, yeah. all that crap. And it was fun. It was really, really good fun. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then Bill was out of the band not long after that. And um, and that's when it all we started having a really good time again with it. Yeah. So I think the fun, the fun definitely dropped out around 2000. Yeah. The, the, the early... 2000 this is, is yeah and so was it just do you think it was kind of a culmination of that i don't know push for a lot of effort and then the draw for you guys with family and home and stuff combined with just maybe it had been too many people doing the same thing for too long or something or well i think at the end of the day it might have been yeah um Robbie and I realised yeah, we didn't want to do it all the time. Yeah. And I just I just got to the breaking point where, I, you know, it had been 80% band, 20% work and, and, mm-hmm. and trying to juggle it that way. And then it was, it couldn't work at 50-50. Yeah. I just found it too hard because 
family, kids, and, and, and commitments. And, yeah. You know, it's all about the big dollar. Mm-hmm. Not making a lot of money out of the music. No. <laughs> Not at all. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> so it was sort of like, you know, I'm dropping, I've got to support a family and that kind of stuff. Yet, you know, I'm, yeah, great, I'm getting free piss and food in Europe mm-hmm. for a month, but I'm not coming home with a month's wage. And you're not bringing home that food for your kids. <laughs> no, so, you know, it's just, it's about survival. So and it was, but we got that balance. Once Bill, when when Bill was out of the band and Dean was in, and not that Dean had a great influence on how the band operated, mm-hmm. we just did things for fun and we had a really, really good time. Yeah. And I think, again, that fun... Like any band that has fun, it, it again it spills out. Yeah, and I think people realised that we were having fun again, and yeah, not that we never really had fun, but there was just a, a, a brighter spark to the band again, mm-hmm. and because there was no pressure. Yeah, and then when we did go overseas, it was just like quiet. Like taking Dean overseas for the first time was just as exciting for me and Robbie as what it was for him. Yeah, just getting him to experience it again. Yeah. Like, Watching him go for what we went through, yeah. a much more mature age, of course, yeah. and probably a much more mature fellow. <laughs> sure. But it was great to take him over there. Yeah. Really good for the first time. And then, you know, and we've been consistently going again, but in our own time, in our yeah. own pace. And, yeah. And and never st- just, just putting along when we want to do something, mm-hmm. we do something. Things changed a bit when that bastard Weston did the... Yeah. Film, so that made us busy for a while. Yeah. But um, yeah, we still just yeah just just put along. Yeah. So how was that? We can talk about that then. Like, was that was that a weird thing for you having someone approach you about making a movie? Totally weird because I was there when it was suggested. The first night, I, I didn't know Wezo, and I, I met him at a oh I don't know some bloody oh I can't remember it now some. Some musical night, industry night. Right. Anyway, it was just suggested. It was anyway. I met him and, and we had a quick chat there, and we're laughing about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll call it an, antiquated agricultural machinery. That's what we should call it, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I had a bit of a laugh, and then I met Matt and talked about it because I don't know if he was too keen on the first idea, but mm-hmm. um, after that he was really keen. We had a big yak, got on the piss, and and that kind of stuff, and. But it was a bit weird because I, oh, I said from the start, I said, yeah, this is about the band, all about the band, not too much personal stuff in there and that kind yeah. of stuff. But as it got deeper in, it was he just like he nailed it. The timing was amazing from him. It's a cuckoo clock. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Um, and I kept saying to him, I go, now, you, you sure? Because he started asking a lot of personal stuff. And, yeah. And I kept, now this is about the band, and he goes, oh, well, he never really admitted, but he I said, look, I was getting divorced at the time, mm-hmm. there was a lot of shit going on, yeah. this, that, and everything, so his timing was impeccable. Yeah. And I was uncomfortable with it at first. In the end of the day, I didn't speak to Matt a lot, many times about it, but yeah. he'd ring up and say, oh, I just want to do a little interview in the shed, and I go, oh, I don't give a fuck, whatever. Yeah. So it was like, it was just talking to Matt, so. Yeah. But yes, weird. Yeah. Um, Watched the whole thing through once at the farm and sat through it at one viewing in Melbourne and then oh, quite happy not to watch it again. Yeah. Like, he did a great job. Yeah. There's, there's parts in it that make me really quite emotional and that's, yeah. and that's 
So just little shots hanging around with me mates back in the time. Mm-hmm. A couple of scenes with Luke and, and stuff and you know, seeing my kids and that, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it, quite, it was an emotional time. So mm-hmm. I said he picked his time well. Yeah, yeah. It lined up perfectly with a, ah, a scenario that was occurring. Maybe, maybe actually, he might have been in there for years beforehand, causing the all the, <laughs> the unrest. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but so then, like obviously, after that came out, that brought a fuckload more people to the attention of your band. Was like, was that a weird? sensation for you guys then from it being you know puttering along as you said to then being like oh someone's made a fucking movie about us and now it's sort of taken another turn again here yeah well, look i think it was it was really good for the band in the point where people that would had watched that would probably go i just thought they were drunken cocks though yeah it just <laughs> couldn't give a fuck i don't know what people what their perception a lot of people probably never got the the joke about the psychos, like mm-hmm. the irony that that we sing yeah. about, like we just take the piss out of everything. Yeah, a lot of people would have taken it seriously, but yeah, like anyone that, that went went through and watched that would go, oh, they weren't actually serious about that. Yeah. Oh, they're not just sexist jobos. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, they're not just bloody, you know, whatever. So yeah. that that was good. I mean, most people that saw it, I think, got got the whole bag about the psychos. Yeah, just, sure. Yeah, we're not bad blokes. Yeah, yeah. We appear, and if you listen to our music, it's sort of like, oh, hang on, did I use psychos and music in the one quick <laughs> sentence? Sorry about that. I apologise. Yep. Hear our songs <laughs> and go, what a bunch of pricks. Yeah. But the thing is, we're just taking the piss. Mm. Always have. Yeah. But yeah, it was strange. It was weird. But it got a lot of people back, I think. People that hadn't seen us for years went, fuck, they're still going. Yeah. Yeah, that just... Yeah, when you drop off the radar, you drop off the radar. And it, whether it's because you've got a double-storey house in the burbs or mm-hmm. you go, I don't know, friggin' whale hunting, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You drop off the radar, but if they, they saw that, they go, oh, shit, they're still playing. Never mm. realised that. So, yeah, it was good. Saw a lot of people again for the first time for ages. Yeah. I see a lot of people sort of our age and, and a lot of kids too. mm a lot of, uh, I'm sure called kids, young adults. Yeah. Um, coming along. So, um, yeah, it changed a lot of things. Yeah. So. And so was that, like, did that at all influence the drive to do, like, a you know, the new record that you guys sort of recently released? Was that, like, drive then pushed forward by the fact that the movie had sort of launched that upward a bit again? Well... If the movie hadn't come out, we would have come out with a new album four years ago. Yeah. Oh, hang on. How long's the movie been? I haven't got a clue. A couple of years. A couple of years. <laughs> we, we would have done, we, we were planning to do another record when the when all this movie crap started. Mm-hmm. So the drive to do honestly, the drive to do the new album was because um, Wezo said you should do another album. Yeah. Go, We've been fucking trying to do one, you prick. <laughs> But you, you got in the way. You made us go and do all these fucking gigs and yeah. do all this film shit. Yeah. So, but in a way, without trying, we tried, but we didn't try mm-hmm. to do an album. Yeah. We just wanted to make it the most on-the-spot thing you could ever imagine. Yeah. And if you listen to it, it is. Yeah. So it's just, um, but it's fun. You know, yeah. We just got up here at the farm for four days. Yeah. 
we probably worked for approximately, I don't know, six hours over the four days <laughs> and drank for the rest. Yeah. And came up with just absolute fucking bullshit, which <laughs> turned out perfect. <laughs> yeah. So it was all, it was basically ad lib. Yeah. We didn't, I don't think we had any demos. Dean and I had got it. Thank goodness Dean's got a little recording studio thing. I don't know what he called it, fucking Pro Tools or whatever. Yeah. So if I think of a riff, because I can't, I write my music down, my own way of writing music, but I've got it ring Dean up and go, I've got this riff, I've got to get there quick straight away. Yeah. Notice I'm picking up a landline. Yeah. <laughs> One of the few people who still yeah. needs to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it takes too long to fucking, oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So I ring up, I pick up my landline, I go, I'm coming up with the curling thing I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> And we'd put down a riff. Yeah. And then he still had them. So when, when Wezo goes, you know, I suggest you blokes, yeah, he should do another record. We go, oh, if I go, all right, whatever. So at least we had, we could pull apart some of that kind of crap, mm-hmm. but the rest we just made up on the spot. Yeah. So just morphed in. So, look, we're just, we're fucking lazy. Yeah. So we just, I reckon I come up with probably 10 songs a week. Yeah. And I reckon they're all really good. When it comes to recording, I come up with maybe 10 songs in a week and they're all shit. <laughs> I forget all the good ones. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, but I'm, yeah, I couldn't encourage Dean or and, and Macca to, to write more songs because it, it, for the first time in the, in the now I get all fucking emotional, but but they, they love to contribute and they're good musos too. Yeah. And it's... You know, what I was afraid of happening with the movie, it's not the Ross Knight show. Mm-hmm. Just because I've been there all along, it's not it's not fucking naughty. I mean, you know, Dean's been in the band for 10 years. Yeah. Mac has been on and off in the band for, what, fucking 15, 20 years now. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, in and out when Robbie was crook and stuff. So mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So, hey, look, the funny thing is we've... Come out with their first album for what bloody six years. Yeah, um, I've got three new songs on the hook now, and mm-hmm. we, we could do another one tomorrow. Yeah, we're more prepared now than what we were to do the raw prawn. <laughs> so, so where do you, where do you see things going for you guys now? Is it just a matter of slogging away at shows and doing that sort of shit, and then you'll just do another record when you're ready? Or yeah, I think I think this next run we're, we're doing another run of shows now. We had a, a, a Greatest fucking tour with the June Rats, mm-hmm. you know, you could ever imagine. Yeah, a lot of people went June Rats and the Psychos. How the fuck could that work? Yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, it was unreal. They, they were great, great blokes. Mm-hmm. Different, completely different crowds. We just yeah, but all meshed in together. Worked it was well. fantastic. Yeah. But look, we'll do another run uh, because Wezo and his managerial powers <laughs> looking after the psychos said we should do this so I go oh, whatever so I've got a few more to do here and there and um, yeah. I'll just take it easy for a while because we're going we're gonna to go to Europe next year mm-hmm. yeah, that's a given um, I don't know call and do a few in the States we're talking about maybe doing some Asian shows yeah plenty to get well looked after there's no money in it but it's rock and roll there's yeah. no money it in it it's shit <laughs> play somewhere different yeah yeah but, uh, no we'll keep going it's yeah. Probably, oh, I don't want to bore it. Look, we don't want to burn ourselves out. And there's a rock and roll clock, so I figure psychos have just hit 12 o'clock again. Mm-hmm. I reckon in the 30-odd years we've hit 12, and this is not making any money or being the biggest band in the world, but 
we've peaked in popularity three times yep. in 32 years. So you look at, right, we've won three flags in 30 years. Yeah. That's that. That's a flag every 10 years. That's a reasonably successful club. Yeah, for sure. So if it takes us another 10 years... To wrap back around. To wrap back around. You know what? That's just the way it is. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll just be getting done by 20 goals, 30 goals, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. See, the good thing about the psychos, recruited well. Yeah. So with Macker and Dean, very yeah. good. So, and I reckon, no need to retire them, mm-hmm. or me, hopefully. <laughs> so, yeah, no need, age, age does not matter. Yeah. So, proven formula, and we'll just wait for the clock to tick around again. Yeah. Be fine. It's a great way to look at it. Oh, fuck. Well, there's no other way to look at it, I reckon. <laughs> so, I'm patient. Yeah. Another 10 years. Uh, we'll probably be, you know, have the biggest selling record in the world ever. Because everyone will be back buying vinyl. Yeah. And the internet machine would have gone, would have fucking blown up. All the satellites would have fucking blown up. Yeah. So, and I would have invested wisely in a record needle business. <laughs> yes. And maybe the uh, Melbourne CBD will have reached out to this point. <laughs> and I could probably get a tram to the pub. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's a pretty good place to end this off then. That sounds all right to me. Fuck yeah. Well, Jump on the tram. Thank you very much for talking to me, mate, and Thanks. having me in your weightlifting shed. Thanks for coming up here. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Cheers. mate. Bye.